0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to The Mail rights Show. This is episode number 398, and we are extremely excited to have... Jared, and I'm going to say this the way it seems like it's spelled phonetically, Spiewak. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Okay. Jared Spiewak is our guest on the show today. Jared is a rock star of paid advertising. Uh, he's got a number of different websites and a LinkedIn profile, all of which will get dropped during the show. And uh, we're extremely excited to have this guest, John uh in his typical splendiferous fashion, has found us yet another paid advertising guy who uh, really, really looks like he knows his stuff. So we're going to be talking about what would you do in as a real estate agent or broker in 2023 if you were going to use paid advertising. Jared's going to help us out with that subject. But before I go any further, uh, Jared, why don't you give your own intro to the audience along with any details about yourself that you think would be relevant?
1: Yeah, of course. So first off, thanks for having me. Of course, uh, my name is Jared Spiewak. I'm the founder and lead strategist at Comet Fuel. Uh, we help service-based and SaaS companies grow to five to ten million dollars a year without all the typical agency BS. And and I'm hoping to really leverage the experience that we have in real estate to hopefully bring some value to uh, to your guys' audience. Uh, the first and only corporate job I ever had was real residential real estate marketing that transitioned into a uh, law firm marketing role in which we also worked with uh, real estate lawyers. Uh, once I started my own agency, we've worked with real estate agents, uh, investors, uh, mortgage lenders and brokers, insurance, uh, ISAs, SaaS companies, uh, so on and so forth. And I'm also a real estate investor myself. So like I said, I'm hoping uh, to use some of that knowledge to bring some value to you guys.
0: Beautiful. Well, this is going to be super, super, super exciting. But before we go any further, uh, we cannot forget my co-host of many hundreds of shows at this point. Uh, but I know him, but you don't necessarily know him, the people that listening to the show. So, John, why don't you go ahead and introduce anybody that may not know who you are?
2: Oh, yeah. Thanks for that, Rob. Um, I'm the joint founder. <laughs> founder of mel Um We build great WordPress websites. Um, also, we've got a great platform with CRM and a lead generating side of the business. Um, and basically, we compete with uh, Real Geeks and Sarah Interactive. So if that's interesting, go over and book a demo with me in the chat. Back over to you, Rob.
0: Beautiful. And I'm going to help John out here. He's also a multiple times tech founder. He is the founder of three different podcasts. Uh, His list of accreditations (laughs) rolls heavy. He has got one of the largest shows that's out there about... uh, WordPress. Uh, I can go on and on. So John has a lot of uh, accolades to be sung in his praise. I am a real estate SEO guy that uh, probably is the most experienced real estate online marketing consultant that's currently working in the United States. I also have my own tech company, Inbound REM. Plus, I sit on a couple of boards uh, for a couple of prop tech companies at this point. So uh, mostly as my role as a guy that really understands real estate SEO. So without any further ado, let's talk about the other side of Google, which is not the organic side. Organic versus paid is one you kind of figure out how to get placed by Google without necessarily paying them directly. Of course, if you hire me, you do end up paying, but it's not a direct payment for placement. Whereas what Jared does is he's going to get you found by paying to have your ads placed in various places. So what do you think a couple of key things are that agents and brokers need to understand about using Google Ads, maybe for the first time, maybe just in general?
1: Yeah, so... One of the biggest things that I recommend, especially if you're on the the smaller side, is take a DIY approach. Uh, I'm a really big proponent of DIY. The reason being is when you hire somebody, whether it's a freelancer, an agency, someone in-house, you, know, you use a referral from you know, your broker, what have you, it's really hard for you to tell if they're doing a good job if you have nothing to compare it to. And the amount of times that I've talked to people that have hired someone to run their ads, and then they did it themselves and they got better results is staggering. That's how we got into it. Well, I I founded an SEO company. Our clients wanted us to do ads. I said, no, we're not ad people. They said, pretty pleased. We don't like who's running our ads right now. I said, sure, we'll give it a shot. Watched one YouTube video and started improving their ads better than these agencies that they started hiring. And it was really, really shocking. So I recommend people like simply go, to YouTube, type in how to run ads, try it yourself, understand the basics, see what you can do, and then compare what you're able to do yourself before you're, you're hiring
0: someone else to do it for you. Okay. I couldn't possibly disagree with that. I love that. And, I, and I'm desperately fighting back. The desire to ask you questions about your SEO company, but that's not what this show is about. And I will get schooled if I, if I tangent off too hard by John. Um, so uh, just on the DIY approach, when you log into Google, and, and for those listening, you may, may or may not know, but Google has gotten pretty good, in my opinion about making pr- proactive recommendations just for anybody that opens up an account. You go into your account and it says, hey, you can improve these five or six things or whatever, blah, 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 blah. How do you feel about, like, how, f- how good of a job do you feel that Google does if all you did, all you did was follow along with the recommendations that they're making in AdWords?
1: Sure. So I think if you if you go online... And you Google a Google Ad and see how people discuss what the recommendations, the automatic recommendations, the recommendations that people from Google uh, contractors of Google send you. Outlook not so good. <laughs> um, now that being said, not everything that they send your way isn't uh, isn't bad, uh, but. Everything has to be taken with consideration. I wouldn't just say apply all hope for the best because that's really what you're doing. Uh, Some of those recommendations will be pay us more money. You'll get dinged on your recommendation score if they say, hey, you should actually be paying us another $50 per day. And if you say no, your recommendation score doesn't really change anything, uh, has a lower percentage. They might say, hey, Uh, remove these keywords. I've seen recommendations for uh, like a real estate lawyer, for example, where the term real estate lawyer was removed from the account because that's what the recommendation said. Uh, So there are definitely good recommendations in there. There are sometimes settings that you accidentally set that you didn't mean to that it'll catch and it'll remind you. uh, But I would never just let it do whatever it wants. I would always look at the recommendation and say, if it's a good recommendation, yeah, go ahead and apply it. But if it's not, it's not always going to be a good recommendation. It's not always going to be a good recommendation for you in your scenario. So, you know, just put a little bit of uh, consideration before you just hit apply all.
0: Right. And for those that not be, may not be aware, uh, and I, I feel like some people are, Jared, and some people aren't, but I'm going to say this. You know, oftentimes you're, you know, uh, like real estate, like marketers in general, SEO guys, paid advertising guys, it's kind of like buying insurance. Like you may or may not know, let's say 80% of a subject. But what Jared just described is kind of like a knowledge-heavy response where you got to look at what they recommend and know enough to understand if the recommendation doesn't actually make sense for you. I have blindly followed along with a lot of different things, not understanding what the difference was because I didn't have the knowledge, expertise. And in the absence of knowing the answer for sure, I personally, who consider myself to be a fairly clever guy, Would opt to follow the recommendation because I I just didn't know if I should or shouldn't, which is, which is a great example of way, maybe why such an obvious keyword was taken off of a client's account. Because maybe in the absence of knowing for sure, somebody said, well, maybe, maybe Google knows what they're talking about. Maybe there's a good reason for me to take, you know, uh, real estate lawyer or whatever it was off the account. And this right here is why probably Jared, Jonathan, and I all have a living or a business. (laughs) It's because it's because at some point when you're spending enough and the decisions cost you enough, it is better to have insurance. Though in Jared's example, I'm definitely going to say if you're at the place where you're just starting your first year agent, there's no way in the world I think you should be hiring a guy like me or a guy like Jared or a guy like Jonathan unless you already have previous entrepreneurship entrepreneurship experience and you already know what you're doing in which case by all means all right so what are the fun what are some of the fundamental mistakes
2: you sure, can, I, can I ask that question actually hit me yeah Go. Sure. yeah so yep. what what are some of the fundamental mistakes one or two that you regularly see your clients making when they're in the DIY or clients come to you Gerald oh, what are, I'd imagine there's some there's a pattern that you observe. What is one or two that you see? Yeah.
1: So the when I get on a call with somebody who is already running ads, I ask the same two questions. I say, How much did you spend last month? And everybody can answer that. You know, they look at their account, they go twenty five hundred, three three grand, whatever that number is. And then I say, How much revenue did that generate? And all of a sudden, that question becomes a lot harder to answer because you're not, uh, most people aren't tracking the entire sales cycle through their ads. And so what happens is you might have one month, you get 10 inquiries and you can look at your overall revenue and go, hey, that was pretty good. Another month, you have 10 inquiries and uh, no new revenue came in. And it's like, hey, what happened here? And so what we found is that it's very easy and possible to have. One keyword, one ad group, one campaign that may have driven uh, 20 different inquiries, form fills, phone calls, what have you. But maybe that only drove two or three real opportunities for you, whereas another one may have driven only uh, eight inquiries, but five opportunities. But if you're only tracking the inquiries, uh, you're going to spend a lot more money on the former and a lot less. Lot less money on the latter, yet the latter was a lot more profitable. So, what I always tell everyone, and what uh, one of the things that we try and uh, really help people understand, is closing that gap between somebody filling out a form, someone actually being qualified to to be worth your time to to interface with, and then do they actually turn into a customer for you? Because uh, if not. Uh, it's just a waste of money. And so really focusing on optimizing that full sales cycle and not just people taking that first step and reaching out because not everybody who reaches out is going to be a good fit for you. Uh, so that's the number one mistake. I've been in about thousand ad accounts, less than 1% have this set up. The next uh, the next big issue I tend to find is not having a, a real sense of who your customers are, which might sound silly, uh, but you know what's your goal? Make money great let's let's start selling ice cream like let's you know let's do this you know any anything can make money but are you trying to go after residential commercial high end residential uh, low end residential are you trying to sell apartments condos are you trying to sell to first time home homeowner, homeowners are you trying to sell to investors uh, depending on who your customer is is going to completely change how you try to talk to that person and so if you're trying to attract uh, first time homeowners and your copy, your your website, your landing page is very vague on information about you, very vague about the buying process, I, as a first-time home buyer, am not going to feel confident to reach out because I don't know if you're a good fit. And there are 9,000 other uh, real estate agents around me who are all trying to bid for my business. So really honing in on who exactly are you trying to attract so that when they click on your ad, they can very quickly identify is this somebody that I want to have a conversation with or not? Is this somebody who knows the area that I'm trying to buy, who knows the type of property that I'm trying to buy at the price range that I'm trying to buy it? Because uh, I don't want to, if I'm trying to buy residential, if I'm trying to buy $125,000 apartment, I don't want to work with someone who specializes in selling $800,000 single family homes. They might not know uh, the, the as well as they could the buying process compared to someone who is more specialized in that area or who does more work in that area.
2: That's fantastic, Jared. Back over to you, Rob. Okay. Um,
0: That was a really good point. Um, Okay. Well, John, you had to throw a question in here that dealt with AI, didn't you? Um, How do you see AI affecting uh, Google adverts, uh, if at all, over the next 18 months?
1: I think that there's a couple of things that it can do and it's already doing. Uh, first is, how do we define AI? If we're saying... AI slash machine learning, you know, wherever you want to call it. Uh, it's been within Google ads for years and years and years, way before, you know, ChatGPT became as popular as it is today. Uh, Google has been uh, involving AI and machine learning in a lot more aspects of ads with performance max campaigns, with uh, dynamic search ads, with uh, nowadays, when you create a text ad, Google will even suggest ad copy by, you know, crawling your landing page. It's not really using AI, but you can call it AI if you want. Um, and the effect of this is on one hand, it's making it a lot easier to get up and going. It's you don't have to uh, know as much about ad copy. If Google's able to just find your website and suggest you ad copy that may or may not work. Uh, but it's also a bit dangerous if you overly rely on it and you think, Oh, this, uh, this automated system that may not know my goals, may not know my business, uh, may not know know, much of anything, I'm just going to click on all the things that it's suggesting and hoping for the best. Kind of like that first question going back to the recommendations, maybe they're good, maybe they're not. Uh, So it's something that we always have to take with a grain of salt. Uh, I think on the other side, it depends on what kind of AI. If you're running like display or video ads, you might be using uh, some sort of AI that's producing video or images for you. Uh, Right now, that's a bit of a copyright issue where uh, most people aren't going to be putting ads on that. Uh, There's a lot of lawsuits happening right now. Where uh, Even chat GBT right now, there's a lawsuit where I think if they lose that suit, they're going to have to basically start over. Their entire database is going to have to be deleted uh, because of copyright claims. Uh, Text we have to worry less about. So uh, in and of itself, I, I think it's great. I think you can use it, but I think you still have to apply knowledge and experience to it. You can't just say, oh, because this AI is suggesting content for me, an ad copy for me, that it's inherently good, but it's a really good starting place to go. Yeah, you know that's a good idea. Now let me expand upon this idea with something that's a little bit more specific to my particular needs.
0: I'm going to say, John, I know that you slipped this in here, but I'm gonna, I'm going to take this time to say something that I've mostly been saying inside my closed Facebook group. AI, which Jared, in my opinion, nailed it, there is no such thing as AI. The technology in general is mislabeled. Autonomous intelligence is not here yet. Behavioral learning is here and has been here. He called it machine learning, which is also another great name for it. But what it can do is it can learn from what already exists. It can go out there and say, we've seen 10,000 real estate ads and we can take bits and pieces of those ads together and piece them together and perhaps maybe create something unique for you when that's a big, maybe. And, there is only a limited number of fields. I think, uh, Jared will know this better than I, but I think it's like 159 characters or something for, for at least the standard text ads. And I might, I might got the I might maybe get any number wrong, Jared, but it is a limited number. I know that for sure. And so whatever that number is, you only have so many variations of those words, maybe millions or billions. But at that point, you're only doing a very small changeover each time that you accept an ad that is being generated to you by behavioral marketing. And I personally think that while I don't disagree with the idea of maybe using it to give you some ideas, I do think that if you start to use it in its current phase, number one, you could run into some problems, which Jared is pointing out with copyright and things like that, not so likely in the text ad space, but definitely in the image and video space. But um, another thing that you might run into is becoming dependent upon a tool that is untested, something that I've seen countless times inside technology. AI is definitely the wave of the future, as is behavioral marketing, machine learning. It's actually been around for a long time, and it's only going to get better as time goes on. But to say, should you use it now? And what should you use it for? Are important questions that should be considered heavily before doing it, in my
2: opinion. John? Yeah, I think it's time for us to go for a break, Rob.
0: Oh, okay. I thought you wanted to say something other than that. All right. We're going to be right back, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. When we come back, we're going to talk about scaling. How could I I do that? You said so much, (laughs) Rob. Oh, my God. All right. We're going to talk about scaling, and we're going to talk about... Uh, Some of uh, Jared's rock star heroes. And um, we're also going to talk about um, uh, a couple of other cool questions that we've come up with to ask uh, our our guest, Jared. And uh, we'll be delivering all of that when we come back. Stay tuned. Do you want quality leads from homeowners and buyers right in your own neighborhood? then you need MailRite. It is a powerful but easy to use online marketing system that uses Facebook to generate real estate leads at a fraction of the cost you'd pay from our competition. We stand behind our work with a no question asked 30-day money back guarantee. So don't delay, get started today. Go to mail-right.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode number 398. We're here with Jared Spiewak, who is a founder of his own ad company, uh, cometfull.com. You can also look up Jared on LinkedIn.com, uh, dot, uh, forward slash IN, Jared Spiewaks, Spiewak, S P I E W A K. If you're interested in finding out more about our guest, he has an incredibly, uh, impressive track record. And uh, what's more, he has done something that most of us wish we had done, where he just bailed on the corporate world and decided to create his own company. Among many other things about the company, one of the things that caught my attention is he offers a 200% money-back guarantee, which basically means he will pay you if you don't get the results, whatever they are, the deliverables that he discussed. So very impressive, very impressive uh, mindset on the way that service is provided. So having said all that, uh, actually, you know what, John, why don't you go ahead and do number
2: four? Yeah, sure. So um, how do you scale Google Ads, you know, the testing testing waters to, you know, really depending on your budget, you know, really making a big difference, you know, into the six, seven figures to the top line? Um, can you give a broad um, description of maybe how you – um, help a client from beginning to get into that massive end result?
1: Yeah, of course. So uh, for for a little bit of context, the, the smallest campaigns that we've worked on have been as small as someone spending $500 a month on ads. The largest that we've worked on is someone spending over $700,000 a month on ads. And there's a big difference in... in someone who's spending that little to someone who's spending that much. But the one consistent thing is from looking and working with the companies who are spending uh, larger amounts on ads, even if they started off with really, really small budgets, is the ability for ads to be measurable. The better that you can measure performance, as I talked about earlier, the easier and faster it is to scale. If all you know is what's driving leads, but what's not driving sales, what's not driving qualified leads, it's really hard to be confident when to spend more money on what to spend more money on. But if you know you've spent $1,000 on X and it's produced $4,000 in profit for you, you, you can test the waters and go, okay, well, what happens if we Spend two thousand dollars on that instead. Maybe it doesn't go all the way up to eight thousand dollars, but maybe you get seven and a half grand. Maybe you get six grand. Maybe that's still a, a good enough ratio of a return for you to then go. Okay, well, what happens if we go up to thirty five hundred? What happens if we go up to five grand? And that's really the process, which is if I can look at what I'm doing right now and know that's working, let me just start to incrementally increase what I'm spending per day eventually you're going to get to a point where your results are, uh, the results start to dip down below your profitability requirements, or you start to run out of, you know, you've reached all the people that you can reach. In those instances, uh, you might need to change up your targeting. You might need to expand your keywords, your audience. You might need to try, uh, you know, free marketing. you have in trying to display ads? If you've, if you've reached out, uh, you maximize what you can do on search, uh, And it's just a matter of really going, okay, great. I spent X, I made Y. Am I happy with the ratio between the two? If so, let's increase the input. Let's see how that increases the output. If I'm not happy with that output, then let's take a step back and go, is that because we ran out of ways to get get more input? Or do we need to go back and say, uh, how can we increase the output? That could be anything from improving the conversion rate of your ads, lowering the cost per click. It can even be uh, on your sales front, uh, you know, the profitability of your ad campaign goes way beyond uh, just you know, your clicks and your, your leads. But how long does it take you to get in touch with a lead? Once somebody becomes a lead, how often do you follow up with that person? Uh, can you create a new system or process where if you get 100 inquiries, uh, instead of 10 of them turning into uh, some sort of uh, viable relationship for you, can you get that to 15, 20? Uh, if so, you just doubled uh, the profitability, uh, roughly, uh, of what you were doing. And that might allow you to increase your input all of a sudden way more. So, just mapping out every step of the sales cycle from start to finish, uh, mapping out what was the input, what was the output. Do I need? Am I happy with the output? Let's try more input. If I'm not happy with the output, let's drill down on each step of that of that funnel and figure out what the path of least resistance is. Optimize that so that I get an output that I'm that I'm happy with, and then go back
0: more input. Let's measure the output again.
2: Oh, that's fantastic! Over to you, Rob.
0: I'm going to say as a closer. Jared. Over the years, um, you know, I'm 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 publicly acknowledged in so many goddamn places, talking about organic marketing and uh, SEO and getting traffic back to your site, firing your marketing company, continuing to see returns, talking about return on investment in comparison to paid advertising. So the following statement may may surprise a lot of people listening to the show, which is I do think that there's a space and a time if you have a dedicated partner and you're talking about this this honing down of a pipeline where you keep looking for efficiencies, the the best partner in the entire real estate industry currently is Lopo, who's doing something like this because it has Jija And if you haven't checked him out, Jared, I strongly recommend that you do. He is one of the very few people inside the entire real estate space that actually truly, truly deeply knows his stuff. And the reason I say all this is because if you don't have that really deep time and energy to go through and, or you have a partner who's really doing exactly what Jared described and scaling up and tracking profitability and looking at, that, at return on investment and finding out which segment of your lead generation is actually generating you a return, then this may be difficult. But if you did have that, then there is one thing that paid advertising delivers, in my opinion, that almost no other type of marketing does and not organic marketing, which is the ability to scale and scale fast, which unless I miss my guess, and we'll ask you this question later, it might be one of the reasons why you turn from an SEO company into a paid marketing company. But um, having said that, um, let's go on to number five, which I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this one. And John, you're going to take number six. Does that sound right? Okay, um, what have been some of the biggest uh, influences? Or you know, it's funny I mentioned G. Who are some? Of, let, let's talk about who some of your influencers are. Do you have any? Do you have any online mentors, digital people that you follow? Maybe they don't know you follow them. Is there somebody that you really pay attention to in order to guide uh, decisions? Or maybe do you just like to follow them because you think they say interesting things?
1: Yeah. So there's there's a couple of places that I like to go to. Uh, one in general is... Is YouTube. Uh, I'm someone who grew up on YouTube uh, as a kid. It was watching funny, stupid videos on there. As I got older, I did. I couldn't afford to buy all these, you know, five thousand dollar courses all the time, and so I would. Anytime I got stuck on something, I would go to YouTube. I, I'm not that great at reading. Uh, I struggle to really pay attention and just sit down and read a book. But I can go onto YouTube and I can watch a twenty minute video to exit and go. Oh, I didn't know how to do that thing before, and here's someone walking me through every problem that I've ever found in my life, pretty much. That's great. And for free. Uh, So YouTube ad nauseum is great Uh, for specific people. uh, A name that's getting uh, more and more popular nowadays, which is, you know, he's done a really, really excellent job with his own personal branding is a guy named Alex Hermozzi. He's become very, very large recently. Uh, he just released his second book, $100 million Leads. Uh, his first book, $100 million Offers, uh, our, the offer that we have right now, the 200 percent Money Back Guarantee, is one that uh, his book helped me uh, basically form. And our lead gen massively took off after that. So he's someone that I, I really like the way that he uh, explains the concepts that he has. I think it's uh, uh, there's no real BS in there, at least from my perspective. I think it's very digestible content, uh, easy to consume. Uh, so he's someone that I'm quite a big fan of. In the not-online space, though, you can find him online, uh, Michael Mikovits. Uh, Michael Vitz, I watched the last name. Uh, he wrote a book called Profit First. Uh, that's a really great book on cash flow management that also helped us as we were uh, scaling up. He also has uh, other great books like uh, The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur and... Um, uh, the Pumpkin Plan is, is also a really great book of his.
2: Well, I love the titles. his <laughs> 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 full marks for that. Sorry about it. I just had to say that, Gerald. Uh, um, so let's go. Obviously, I, I'm not a native Navaldian. Um I come from England um you so don't I'll, say yeah you don't say <laughs> um so i, I was a, as a child i was a great watcher of doctor who and the tardis hopefully so if you had your own time machine and you could go back to the beginning of your agency and this journey gerard is there is there like one thing that you wish you could tell yourself at the beginning of the journey that you know now
1: Oh, something I talk about all the time uh, with others when I'm at events is uh, don't compare your business to other people's businesses. And it's really hard to do. And the the reason being is uh, when I started getting involved in my own communities, the people in the industry going to events, conferences, what have you, I would have conversations with people and I would go, wow, you're growing so much faster than I am. You have so much more revenue than I have. Your team is so much bigger. And I would start to look at, you know, what are these guys doing that I'm not? And how can I, uh, you know, copy or emulate what they're doing? Because that must be, you know, what they're doing that I'm not must be the secret to success. Fast forward five years, uh, you know, no shame to them, but a lot of those guys are out of business. A lot of those guys no longer exist. And so... Uh really what I've done over the past uh, two years as I've been a lot less involved in these groups, socials, I mean, COVID obviously had a pretty big impact on that. Uh, but as I just kind of focused on just bettering myself, if you will, and not really looking at what other people are doing or how they're growing their business, mine has actually grown much faster and easier. And I've also had a lot less stress as I I haven't really been concerned with, oh, no, we're not doing this other thing that this guy who just uh, doubled the growth of his company in uh, eight months did, maybe we should do that. But we didn't do that. And then two years later, that guy went out of business. So uh, just no longer really... Uh, it's not that I don't care. It's just that I, you know, what's good for them might not be good for me. I'm happy for whatever they're doing with their business, but I'm not going to change anything in mine uh, just because I see someone else growing better, faster, whatever, from my perception right now. Because uh, who knows how that will affect them in two, three, five years
2: from now? Oh, thanks for that, Joe. I thought that was a fantastic insight, actually. Thanks for sharing that. Back over to you, Rob. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're
0: we're down to. Uh, what would technically be the end of the show? Jared, uh, can we, can we, we, we're also through the questions that we, that we set up. And, um, if you're willing, I'd love to just open, uh, kind of have a riff for maybe yeah. five, 10 more minutes. Are you down for that? Yeah. I have time. I'd love it. Okay. So, um, I'm just curious. I, I and I am going to go way off script here, but, um, you, you are, I, I don't know how old you are, but you look young. You look very young and you're sitting here. He's, a, he's actually
2: older than me, Rob.
0: <laughs> there there isn't anybody alive older than you, so that's not no. possible, John.
2: No. No. <laughs> I, I, I feel that I feel that way sometimes
0: actually Rob. <laughs> So I'm somewhat curious, like what what drives your I wish that I got myself together. I mean, I've had seven businesses, but I really struggled when I was your age to keep the focus on a business. I am ADHD from here until like the next century. And so I could never really like dial my focus in to stay connected to a single thing that I was doing. And I'm kind of curious if you have mechanisms for doing that yourself.
1: Uh, Not really. I'm also, I also have ADHD. So it's something that I struggle with a lot. Like uh, I've really struggled. I I can't really read. If you see the... Bookcase right there. Those are all the mm-hmm. books I haven't read. Uh, the ones right here are all the ones <laughs> I have read. Uh, like I, it, it, I really struggle to do that. I, I'm constantly. Uh, I'll spend a weekend. I'll have an idea, and I'll be like, "Oh, that's a cool idea for a business. Let me work on this." I have time, and then Monday comes. I'm like. I d I don't have time to work on this. So uh sometimes it's just uh, through through attrition. I, I just haven't simply uh, given up. I, I've pivoted a couple of times as I found a kind of a, a greater opportunity for growth, but I've never uh you know I, I guess I've I've never been uh, smart enough to to quit. <laughs> well,
0: yeah, I it sounds like you're you're lucky in that. And um now I'm gonna ask you kind of a, a traditional entrepreneurial question as as you through perseverance stupidity luck or maybe drive and talent i don't know but as you get more successful i've noticed that more and more people ask you questions which which personally frustrate me because i've been doing the same thing for 15 years but the numbers grow as time goes on the recognition grows but what i've been doing actually doesn't change i do the same thing there's just more people out there recognizing what i do is what i is what i found so when you, when it comes to you, like what's been one of your greatest setbacks, and how did you, how did you address it?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's a good question. Um,
1: I mean, I think honestly, one of one of the one of the greatest setbacks was what I mentioned there at the end was uh, going to events, talking with people, hearing what they were doing, and then making sometimes uh, radical shifts in how we were doing things just because. And at the same time, nowadays, we have uh, slowly building up. We have tons of like business intelligence dashboards, tracking tons of different metrics on our own business performance. And I would do things like, oh, wow, I really like how they present their proposals. I'm going to do something similar. But I was never really measuring what kind of impact that had. I just assumed they have a much larger, more successful business, quote unquote. So I'm just going to copy them. And then I was literally at an event last week I'm not going to say any names, of course, but uh, someone who I quite look up to. Uh, I believe that they were doing really well on a company that they were working on. They were talking about how well they were doing on the company that they were working on, and I thought that uh, I was like, "Wow, uh, I wish I came up with that approach. Like, oh, maybe I should like find a way to take what we're doing, kind of uh, find a way to incorporate that because that's really cool. It seems to be working so well for them." And I was talking to someone that was just talking to this person. They're like, "Yeah, they're." that didn't work for them at all. They had all this marketing material that said it was working so well, but they actually just shifted their business entirely because that kind of crashed and burned. Uh, But yet on their website talks about, Oh, we shifted to this and money goes up. And then in private, uh, you know, behind closed doors, it's yep, that's not working. So uh, the biggest pitfalls I ever really made was caring uh, too much about what other people are doing and just assuming that everyone is going to be honest with you and say what they claim is working really well for them is actually working
2: really well. (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree because You know, a couple, you know, like two to three people that have become friends of mine, like Rob Rowling, the founder of Drip. Um, he does the, um, Startups for the Rest of Us podcast. He's become a, he's got a track record. He's done it. You know, he's built up a multi million dollar business and sold it. And like Jason Coleman, the founder of WP Engine, he's a personal friend of mine. Um, so he's, he's just got a track record of you know building business and selling them that you know they've done it you know and they're very public um and sharing but you do get a lot of people that do say they've done this done that done the other and when you really look at it they haven't really done much have they Gerald? yeah yeah yeah
0: sometimes a lot less
2: than you think they have yeah, yeah exactly
0: I'm glad that we're talking to you on the website paid advertising side and that you're bringing this story up. One of the reasons that I started Inbound REM, which actually started as a blog, not as like this fully fleshed out business idea. But I had already been in the industry for like nine years and I had noticed that what most marketing companies said that they delivered or said the result of this delivery would be was completely false. I knew it because I had talked to hundreds of thousands of agents direct one-to-one and had the input straight from them that whatever that they bought or that was told to them was absolutely inaccurate. And sometimes so wildly so that you might as well have lied about it, like entirely, Mm -hmm. like, like a completely fictitious service or result where very few people, if any, were getting what was advertised. And that, that knowledge drove me to start reviewing real estate marketing companies because so often what I see published doesn't actually have, like, it's not possible that the measurable result is what they're saying. It's just not. Possible,
2: yeah, except yeah. for maybe. Can, can I say something about that, Rob? Sure. sure. Uh, um, and I don't know if Gerald agrees with this. Um, I think we touched upon this next week. I, I'm sure there's been some active misleading, but also, I think there's a lot of confusion between what is a what is classified as a referral to what is a kind of digital lead. And the kind of process, your measurement and process that you discussed in the main part of the podcast, Gerald. And there's a lot of people in the real estate that think a digital lead and they compare it to a personal recommendation. Somebody in the community has recommended them to somebody else. And I think there's a lot of misunderstanding there, Rob.
0: You know, I think I think I'm going to write this down and do a YouTube video on this. And uh, now that you now that you say it, uh, lead designation.
2: Um, so, what, so, what do you reckon about that role, um, Gerard? Do you think that that is part of the problem? People don't understand. They compare one lead generative process with another, so and they don't understand they're dealing with a totally different beast in some ways. Does that make sense to you, Gerard? Yeah, I
1: mean, every lead source is different and uh, lead attribution is very difficult. The more marketing channels you have, the more difficult it is to attribute leads to understand why people came for you, where they're coming from. Uh, you know, when it comes to uh, referrals, for example, uh, something that we just worked out with a, with a client of ours is we were running a, an ad campaign and they were like, wow, this has actually generated a ton of sales for us. But then they looked, down there like actually we can attribute uh quite a few of these sales to referrals that we got from other people being like oh like google this keyword and they'll just this company will show up and i recommend you click on that company so they clicked on our ad so the attribution got attributed to ads but then we just you know we just worked directly to go okay great we actually turned off that campaign when even though it we was driving a ton of sales all the sales ended up being like you know, people that were already looking for you are you looking for referrals and so we Cut that off and move that budget elsewhere. Uh, so, understanding, if you're generating a small number of leads, it is nice to be a little bit extra critical of them. If you're generating tens of thousands of leads, you know it's hard. To, it's hard to look by each line item and go, okay, where did this come from exactly? You know, have I haven't talked to this person before? Uh, and it's kind of you know at that game, it's a, it's a numbers game. But yeah, you know, if you're if you're working with a small data set, it's like, okay, uh, Bob came to me through a Facebook ad, but I met Bob four weeks ago, you know, maybe uh, maybe that uh, ad didn't really uh, count as, as a lead. And, and I think that's okay. And I think that's a great conversation to have. And, you know, uh, you know, sometimes it's a little bit disappointing on our end when we think we're doing a lot better than we actually were. And someone comes to us, actually, uh, this wasn't as good as you thought. So lead attribution, uh, I think it's important to look at. I think it's important to know where your leads are coming from. And if you can, I think it's important to understand that uh, a lead could be tagged from uh, SEO. It could be tagged from Google Ads. It could be tagged from Facebook Ads. Uh, some of that was branded. Some of those people already knew you exist, and it's going to be, uh, you know, the SEO, the advertiser, the the social media marketer. Uh, they everybody wants to attribute it to the efforts that they've done. Their their own marketing uh, that may not be uh, completely true, but at the same time, not everyone's going to be explicitly trying to lie to you about that either. <laughs>
0: My experience, and, and I think this is probably a good place to wind down. But my experience has been that with the with the uh, ever increasing importance of considering omni channel approaches, it's really hard to say. Even with SEO, which is obviously what I do, like I would love to be able to say that that the quality has been like rising and rising and rising. But only like that that would only be true if you took into account. All of the media that supports lead generation in the first place, personal one to one videos online, social proof, so on and so forth. The strategies have so changed that like when I drive paid traffic into pages that we've already done a lot of work on that has all this stuff present, all of a sudden paid traffic gets a much bigger and better bang for the buck. Just like, so saying, Oh, is SEO inherently better from a lead quality perspective? I don't know that I agree with that anymore. It really kind of just depends on the support of the marketing efforts where you drive that traffic to. And then that that creates the relevance of your spend, you know, and and things like that. So there's a there's a smaller and smaller distinction between where the lead was initiated like was it search marketing was it was it organic marketing was it you know email marketing was it uh whatever else it might have been direct mail blah 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 anyway that's been my experience i'm not i'm not declaring it to be uh, universal i'm just saying this is what i've noticed um Guys, we, we have done this for 42 minutes. Jared, you've been an amazing guest. I'm going to preempt John and uh, cross my fingers and hope that maybe at some point in the future, you'd be willing to come on the mm-hmm. show and be a guest again. I personally have enjoyed you a lot. I've really appreciated your, your insights um, and your honesty. So uh, if somebody wanted to reach out to you and find uh, out more about you, how would you like them to go about doing that?
1: Yeah. So thank. Uh, first of all, thanks so much for having me. We'd love to come back. If you want to know more about our company, you can go to cometfuel.com. If you want to know more about me, you can just search for Jared Spiwick on YouTube. And I'm also very easy to reach. I'm happy to answer anybody's you know casual questions through email. You know, at just jared at cometfuel.com. com. would love to know if you have uh, any questions I can help
0: you solve. Awesome. John, if you would like somebody to reach out to you, how would you like them to go about doing that?
2: I'll just go to the mail right.com website, have a look at what we've got to offer, and maybe book a, a chat with me or Adam, my uh, co-founder. Back over to you, Robert.
0: And if you'd like to know any more about me or what I do or have done over the years, you can just go to inboundrem.com. You will find a massive resource on organic marketing, social marketing, humor, movies, all related to real estate. We've been spending years building up this site And at this point, I solidly say it's one of the best real estate marketing sites that exists in the country. So you can go and check it out. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Jared, for being the guest on the show. Thank you, John, for, uh, as always, doing all the work that supports the show. Uh, I really appreciate it personally, and I know the audience does as well.